You're listening to Food for the Future on 980CFPL and 980CFPL.ca. Here's your host, Peggy O'Neill. I'm Peggy O'Neill, home economist and host of Food for the Future. In today's show, we'll discuss healthy school food programming as an investment into the well-being of future generations. We'll be discussing national school food programming with Debbie Field, coordinator for the Coalition for Healthy School Food and associate member of the Center for Studies in Food Security at Ryerson University. Welcome, Debbie. Thank you, Peggy. Wonderful to have you here today, Debbie. What is the Coalition for Healthy School Food and what are its aims? We're a network of over 180 organizations in every part of Canada, all with one goal, which is uh, healthy school meals for children at schools. And we operate at three different levels. We first advocate to the federal government because uh, until very recently, uh, Canada has been exempt from the federal space around school food in the world. Uh, We are the only G7 country without a harmonized federal school food program, one of the only OECD countries, and and really now increasingly one of the only countries in the world without a program like that. So that's our main focus, but we also work in provinces and territories to get them to do more on school food. And we also share best practices and do a lot of education amongst our members. Wow. So a real, real broad range of members coming together to really achieve this incredible contribution to every student's life chances, which is healthy food to be able to focus in the classroom and also to, uh, you know, participate in the activities in a really meaningful way. And Debbie, you've dedicated your life to advocacy for healthy school food. And right now under the food policy for Canada, the national school food has finally been mandated. And what does this mean for our nation? Well, it means, as you said, that we have a chance of uh, ensuring that children are supported in their learning and their health every day at school. And, you know, it seems so unusual that we could live in a country where if we go to a conference, you and I as adults, Peggy, they would feed us for sure once, probably three times, you know, there'd be a mid-morning coffee break (laughs) with pastries. But nevertheless, they feed us and they know that people can't concentrate or stay awake if they don't eat. And yet we have created this bizarre situation in Canada where we have put food outside the scope of the school day. And uh, it just really is crazy. So yes, this will make a huge difference to the health and well-being short, long-term of children. It also makes a difference to the culture of the school and the culture of the community and the country. It really is a really important acquisition of life to have children socialize, to eat together, learning how to break bread together, learning how to grow their own food, how to cook their own food. It it has a huge impact. It really does. Nutrients is one thing and very, very important, but all of those social, emotional, and even creative dimensions that come along with food are are really, really important and part of getting a uh, national school food program in place. And what do you and the coalition members hope to see included in the planning and implementation of the national school food program? Well, we, we have a kind of short, medium, and long-term set of recommendations to the government uh, because what happened in Canada was after years of no action at the federal level. A lot of advocacy, including a lot of advocacy from my coalition and our individual members, led to 
the Liberal Party and the NDP putting school food in their platforms in the recent election. This did follow a, a, a 2019 Liberal Party budget commitment, but there had not really been much action on that since 2019. So good news, middle of COVID, in the middle of the pandemic in 2021, uh, in sort of kind of August, September period, these last few months, we see this. So this is great. The NDP came out first with a billion dollar commitment over four years, then the Liberals, billion dollars over five years. So then that's great. And the Bloc Québécois also said something very important. They said they like school food programs and they thought that it would be good for the federal government to do transfer payments to the provinces for school food. So that's an opening to not just the Bloc, but also the Conservative Party, who have tended to see school food more as a provincial and territorial jurisdictional issue. And then, even more exciting, after the government was re-elected, the mandate letters in December. So first time in Canadian history, two mandate letters, Minister of Agriculture and Agri-Food, Minister Marie-Claude Dubot, and Minister of Families, Children and Social Development, Karina Gould from Ontario, to work together with Indigenous nations and community and to negotiate with provinces and territories a school food program. So we're hoping to get our foot in the door in March 2022 with at least a $200 million commitment. And then we're hoping in the next year to negotiate a more comprehensive approach that will include some commitments around food literacy, food policy, and local procurement. Okay, so really strategic action that needs to occur. And this seems like a huge envelope of money, $1 billion over five years. But when you break it down in the volume of change that needs to occur, we still do have a long way to go. So is the mandate letters and the uh, funding that's been allocated, is there any things that need to be met in order to receive that money? Are there any parameters around what the school food programs need to look like? Or is it open for negotiations locally, as you had mentioned, with Indigenous populations and provinces and boards? It's very vague at the federal level. We don't know what they're going to do. I want to come back to the first point, which is the money. It's not enough money to do what is needed. Uh, our coalition had in the summer costed out more like a $2.7 million commitment every year. If you take the number of kids in Canada, multiply by $5 a day, and even assume that the federal government's putting in half of that, it's over $2 billion a year. So now not all schools have a program yet. Only about 35% of schools have a program. So we could grow and we can grow to universal for all kids. The 200 million we think is enough to top up what's going on right now. Right now, every province and territory does something. Uh, Ontario is actually the largest contributor with over 32 million a year to the mid-morning snack. All the programs are suffering. Food prices are going up. COVID has been so devastating. So we started thinking, okay, take the 200 million and support what's going on now and then negotiate the more complex deal and hopefully also put more money in later. Okay. And I think it's something that will gain momentum as we start to see the outcomes of the investments that are being made. And we start to hear not just what's happening from the policymakers and the and, you know, transfer payments and, and people in the system, but the voices of the students. Uh, I, I remember speaking to somebody who's in food literacy and it still touches my heart. She, she said, you know why we need to do food literacy? And she, she quoted one of the students in an elementary school food program. They had done their education inter, uh, experience. And so the one student wasn't eating their food. And so she thought, well, you must not like it. Is this not something that you enjoy? And the student said, oh, can I eat this? I've, I've never had food that someone else didn't want. And certainly, you know, food banks and support and donations are welcome, welcome, welcome. But those are the kinds of voices, I think, that help move our hearts to where we need to arrive at on solving these and really giving the best life chances to every single student in our nation and um, high nutrient outcomes. 
And how do you think, Debbie, that a national school food program can be equitable and affordable? Well, I, it's complicated to do the right thing that doesn't make it a barrier to children participating and at the same time allows parents to feel some control over what's happening with their children. It's going to be very interesting to see in Canada where we evolve as a culture. I mentioned culture a couple times because as we've looked at school food programs around the world, we've had to see that there are very different cultures in different countries. There are many countries that have the culture of a free lunch program completely financed by the federal government. Finland would be a very good example. Um, there are other countries where there are parental contributions, minimal parental contributions that don't discriminate, but yet a parent does feel that they're contributing. Denmark has moved from a time when it was completely uh, parents' responsibility to now looking more at government and parent-shared responsibility. And we're thinking that in terms of the culture of Canada and the fact that we have this grassroots movement, that we're going to see perhaps a diversity of options. So we've come up with this idea of free or at little cost to the family and universality and no targeting. And there's some really interesting models right now. There's a pay-what-you-can lunch program in a couple parts of the country, uh, in Newfoundland and Labrador and Quebec, and recently in PI. The whole province of PI has just launched a universal lunch program for all kids in PI that's a pay-what-you-can model, and there's a great piece of software. So uh, Peggy could put in a dollar for her kid, and Debbie could put in $5 for her kid, and our kids would sit next to each other and nobody know the difference. That might be something that's going to respond to some cultural concerns in Canada about parental responsibility and those who can afford it paying, and yet making sure that there is no stigma and those who can't afford don't pay. So we don't know. I mean, that's the other thing that's very exciting about school food in Canada right now. We are co-designing something new. It will not be the same as any other country because we have such diversity of cultural responses already, breakfast, lunch, snack, some are integrated into literacy and curriculum, some aren't. We are suggesting to the federal government that they stay with innovation and fund everything for a while and do some testing and evaluation and hearing more, as you say, as momentum goes. So we don't know where we're going to be five years from now. Yeah, it is a, a moment of great anticipation. As you say, there's very helpful models across the world, very interesting to look at and see, well, how did they do it? But also having a look at what's being done well now here uh, locally, collectively across uh, across the nation and having a look at some real innovation that comes forward. And I think that that's really an exciting time to see the Made in Canada or the Canadian version of what uh, coordinated national school food programming looks like. And we have a lot to look forward to so you mentioned that several other um, nations have coordinated national school food programs. What are some of the demonstrated outcomes that those countries are reporting from the school food programs? There are health, education, wellness, community cohesion. I think uh, Finland considers its lunch program uh, so integral to the success of their culture that in, in the first weeks of COVID, they shut uh, the schools down, but kept the cafeterias open and kids would walk to school because in Finland, they see it as a part of their national identity, that kids eat together a quality hot lunch. Japan is another one with a really exciting uh, tradition uh, that is more recent and comes out of the crisis of fast food coming into Japan and into a country that had uh, traditionally a very homogeneous, healthy approach to eating. And as we know, as you move from what we would think of as traditional Japanese food to traditional American fast food, there are terrible health implications. And so they have introduced legislation only recently to encourage a whole different approach to 
healthy eating at school. Uh, the largest school food program in the world is in Brazil, and it has not just demonstrated a massive impact on the health and well-being of children and educational impacts, but it has a 30% local procurement provision at the federal level. And so it has also uh, created a demand for local products that are sold to schools. As I mentioned, Denmark is coming at it, looking at it from a new point of view and looking at organic and sustainable food. So, yeah, it's almost like a, a smorgasbord of uh, innovation and Canada maybe being able to pick amongst those uh, and mistakes. I mean, the U.S. program, which is you know well known throughout the world or the British, you know, Jamie Oliver had to have a revolution to respond against it. So we have bad examples. We have many bad examples, programs that children uh, and parents don't like, that feel that they're targeted, that the quality of food's not good. As people try to save money in France and Italy, there's been rebellions from parents as, as low-cost caterers are brought in and the quality of food goes down. So there's a lot to not learn from, and there's a lot to learn from as we look around the world. Right. And, and some of the main messages is, is to really seek to understand and observe our own context and circumstances. Listen, what do people want voices across the continuum, but it is very, very exciting times, Debbie, and we do have a lot to look forward to. After the break, we'll speak with Debbie Field, coordinator of the Coalition for Healthy School Food about the Great Big Crunch campaign. Welcome back to Food for the Future on 980CFPL and 980CFPL.ca. Here's your host, Peggy O'Neill. I'm Peggy O'Neill, home economist and host of Food for the Future. We're speaking with Debbie Field from the Coalition for Healthy School Food about the Great Big Crunch campaign. Debbie, it's a great name, uh, the Great Big Crunch. And we've been speaking so far in the show about national healthy school food programming. What are the aims of the Great Big Crunch program? Uh, there to show us all that even in you know the middle of March, which in Ontario and in most of Canada is still a very, very cold time, that it's possible to eat a crunchy apple, a crunchy local apple, a crunchy local healthy apple, and have a lot of fun doing it. So it's a great, often described as an anti-silence event because it's a loud event and it doesn't have to be apple. It could be a carrot or anything you have in your house that is crunchy. And it happens on a one specific day in March. And everybody kind of does it together. It can be very fun, but it's also the whole month of March. So if any of your listeners miss the actual event at March 10th at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Crunch anytime during the month. Crunch with your children. Crunch with your class. People sometimes do it in workplaces. Uh, so yeah, it's a very creative, there'll be one online event if anybody wants to go to the coalition's website, which is healthyschool.com, you'll be able to see the registration form and sign up for our virtual Great Big Crunch, which is going to be for half hour from 1 to 1.30 on March 10th, but feel free to do it at home anytime. Well, that sounds great. March is nutrition month. And, you know, we often are in New Year's waiting for the, you know, ball to drop or getting ready to all arrive and go happy new year. This is sort of like a, a nutrition celebration of that. I can feel the anticipating of getting ready to the, for this moment and this time in a crunch on a carrot or a piece of celery or apple or grapes or anything crunchy and how much fun that would be. So it's coming up on March the 10th. You can go to the uh, coalition for healthy school food website 
website to find out more about that. And are there more ways that listeners can participate? Do people share their great big crunch experiences in social media or other ways? Or how do we participate once we do crunch? Yeah, for sure. That would be great. Take pictures to send them to us. You'll find uh, when you go to the website, you'll see curriculum activities. We pick a few things every uh, year to highlight. So if you're a teacher and you're scratching your head for what to do, go and you'll find five or six really great activities for different ages, for different contexts, all COVID friendly. In the middle of our call, we're actually going to do some apple yoga, which is kind of fun. We're going to be trees and twist ourselves around. Uh, We're going to crunch together. We're hoping to have classes join us uh, with teachers who can then, you know, have one camera on and the whole class can join the Great Big Crunch. So if you're interested in that, check out the registration form. And as you said, then Peggy, take pictures and send them to us. Uh, People also do really creative things with their politicians because, of course, the coalition isn't just promoting this as a curriculum exercise for us. It's also political mobilizing support for the for the National School Food Program. And actually, uh, pretty close to where you're sitting uh, last year, uh, Peggy, in southwestern Ontario, the London Middlesex Food Policy Council decided to do an online Great Big Crunch with a variety of political uh, leaders at different levels. So that's one thing you can do. People sometimes go and have selfies taken with their politicians. That's another thing you can do. So yeah, the Great Big Crunch lends itself to lots of activism. So get creative. That sounds great. And really, um, you know, celebrating and showing support for healthy school food and just all that uh, that that can bring. So really great resources available on the Coalition for Healthy School Food website for parents and teachers. This is not your first great big crunch uh, campaign. And I'm wondering if you have any tips for a really loud crunch. Well, uh, the person who invented it is named Meredith Hayes. And uh, it's a good story how she invented it. She was actually on a bus in the city of Toronto in the month of March and food chair where both Meredith and I worked at the time ordered these wonderful little small apples from the Norfolk Food Growers Association. And these are those little apples that normally don't find their way to market. And we figured out a food chair, they're perfect for kids. And so Meredith was eating this little apple on the bus and she took a crunch and everybody looked around at her. And that's when she realized how crunchy and loud an apple can be. So then Meredith would get into this thing where she and then other colleagues at Future would always, you know, they go, one, two, three, crunch, and then crunch again. <laughs> I remember this one particular moment in the warehouse at Food Share. We had a grade three class and they were sitting on the floor and they were very excited. And we crunched and Meredith had them crunch again. And this little boy put up his hand and he said, Miss, Miss. And she said, What? And he said, This is revolutionary. <laughs> What a great celebration of nutritious food and and a wonderful, creative way to show support for all the things that we want to have happen in our incredible nation and Coalition for Healthy School Food has made it really easy with the resources and coordinating the event and I I can't wait to crunch into I think I'll have an apple. Really great, Debbie. And I'm wondering, do you have any final thoughts to offer our listeners about national school food programming or the Coalition for Healthy School Food or the Great Big Crunch campaign? Well, you know, the These are some pretty difficult times we're living through. Uh, COVID has been difficult for so 
so many. I know there are people listening who are having tough times, both in terms of the economics of survival and the emotional texture of living under so much uncertainty. And then now with the news globally around the war, potentially in Europe, these are tough times. And um, I'm the child of uh, Jewish immigrants, refugees, Holocaust survivors. And my mother taught me to really focus on the positive and simple joys around simple food, not fancy, expensive food, but simple food. And that's the other thing that's so brilliant about Meredith's invention of the Great Big Crunch is that that little apple is a pretty affordable thing. It is so much cheaper than a small bag of chips or even a candy bar. We're in tough situations with stress on parents. And yet the simple things are actually perhaps doable. And to be reminded that simple things positive things, that community things with each other are possible is uh, really important. I would agree with you, Debbie. And, you know, the crunchy celery, carrots, apples couldn't be more simple and couldn't be more delicious. And so when you say the simple things and refocusing and enjoying just every single bite, that it really is a very connecting initiative. So thank you so much, Debbie, for our conversation today and with your longstanding advocacy and for the advancement that the coalition has made towards putting school food programs on the federal agenda. Thank you. And thank you, Peggy, for your leadership. It's great. Wonderful to have you here, Debbie. Thank you. Today on Food for the Future, we've been speaking with Debbie Field, coordinator of the Coalition for Healthy School Food. Each week, we leave you with something to talk about and something to do. Something to talk about? What impact do you think a school food program would have across our nation? Something to do? Visit healthyschoolfood.ca to find out more about school food advocacy and how to participate in the Great Big Crunch campaign coming up on March 10th. Next week on the show, it's city farming. We'll discuss planning backyard sheds and other structures with Chuck Parker, senior city planner at the City of London. I'm your host, Peggy O'Neill, home economist, and you've been listening to the show, Food for the Future. Thank you to our platinum level sponsors, Burn Bray Farms, Eggs for Life, and the Middlesex London Food Policy Council. Food for the Future with Peggy O'Neill airs every Saturday at 830 on 980 CFPL and 980 CFPL.ca.